it's great to see a nice crowd this evening. Um, I'd like to welcome the audience and thank the League of Women Voters for, for being part of tonight's forum. Um, I'd also like to thank all four candidates for showing up for this forum tonight and the uh, volunteers who are helping with the proceedings. Uh, my name is Stan Dotson and I am the founder and executive director of OakwoodTrails.org. Um, it's a nonprofit that I formed a couple years ago after uh, working in mostly city of Oakland parks. Now, um, in March, I found out that um, John Sutter, who has been a wonderful board member for almost 20 years, was retiring, and I immediately thought of this event. And um, while most of my volunteer work is in the city of Oakland Parks, certainly one of the things that makes parks like Diamond Canyon and Walking Miller so special is that they're connected to a greater thing in the East Bay Regional Park District, and the Barry Ridge Trail, and all the trails that span the East Bay. So that's where my passion is. Um, when I had the idea, I reached out to Carolyn Jones with the East Bay Regional Park District, and she immediately thought this was a great idea um, and offered the Trudeau Center for this event. So I'd like to certainly thank the, the Park District for, uh, for allowing us to use this space for tonight's forum. Um, the, is Mr. Sutter here this evening? chance? Well, um, I certainly wanted to thank him publicly. Um, if he's not here tonight, then um, I, I will do that at another time. Um, I would like to read, uh, before I, um, the, the business part of this portion I should, I should mention is 100% in the control of the League of Women Voters. Um, our moderator tonight will, um, will mention some ground rules. Um, we did pass out some, some cards at the door. Uh, for written questions from the audience. Uh, if you haven't done so already, you can grab one now. Uh, we will be collecting those once the forum begins. Um, before I hand it off, I just wanted to read just a few short paragraphs from the East Bay Regional Park District website uh, that explains the position that these candidates are running for. It reads, the East Bay Regional Park District is governed by a seven-member board of directors who are publicly elected to serve four-year terms. Each board member represents a specific geographic area of the park district. The district itself comprises all of Alameda and Contra Costa counties. Ward 2 represents most of Oakland, Piedmont, Canyon, Moraga, Arenda, Arenda Village, Ream Valley, Lafayette, Rossmore, and part of Walnut Creek. Parks in Ward 2 include portion of Briones, Anthony Chabot, Claremont Canyon, Huckleberry, Leona Open Space, a small portion of Las Trampas, Roberts, Sibley, Temescal, and the Park District's first park in Jewel Redwood Park. Without further ado, I would like to introduce uh, our moderator and have him take the microphone. Thank you very much. by thanking Stan for helping put this together and doing all the work to help get you here. I want to thank, I want to reiterate on behalf of the league what he said and appreciation to all the candidates who have taken time to come and participate in the forum and all of you who have taken your time to come and listen to the candidates. Uh, welcome and thank you for being here with us tonight. It is October 5, 2016 and we are here for a candidate forum for East Bay Regional Park Ward 2 Director. 
I am Stephen Scheffler. I'm the League of Women Voters of Oakland, California. The League of Women Voters is a trusted membership organization that encourages informed and active participation in government. We do not endorse or oppose candidates or political parties. The League participates in issue advocacy and voter education. The advocacy arm of the League may take positions on issues that arise in or ballot measures. This forum is presented by the education arm of the League, which does not take positions or advocate for them. I'd like to remind everybody that the candidates that the candidates and the Open Trails organization have all agreed to participate under guidelines set forth for this forum. The guidelines are posted outside of this room. As a matter of courtesy, please turn off your electronic devices. Please be aware that campaign literature or other forms of campaigning, such as buttons and t-shirts and signs, are not permitted inside the forum room in order to maintain neutrality. We are videotaping tonight's forum, and the sessions will be available on YouTube for the broader community to access. You can find links on websites, League of Women Voters Organization, lmvor.org, or on votersedge.org slash CA. They will be broadcasting the videos which are being, uh, which is being made tonight. As indicated earlier, this is a forum for District 2 of the East Bay Regional Park Board, sort of a director position. There are four candidates. We are going to ask them each to introduce themselves. And I just give you their names uh, in alphabetical order. There is Ken Beckham. Andrea Jones-Taylor, uh, D. Rosario, and John Roberts. Let's go over the round, get round this. We're going to begin, each candidate initially is going to be given up to two minutes to answer two general questions which they have been informed about in advance. The first question is simply to state their qualifications to give a general background of what qualifies them for the position they are running for. We will do that, each will have two minutes, up to two minutes for that, and we are going to do it in reverse alphabetical order. So Mr. Rosario will begin with that. After that set of questions, after that set of answers, there will be a second question, and each candidate will be given up to two minutes to answer this, in which they will state what their priorities and platform is if they are elected. They will explain to you, once elected, what are the main issues they will be advocating for. There are timekeepers that will signal the candidates with colored markers when 30 seconds are about to expire. And they will signal with a yellow marker when it is 30 seconds and when the two minutes are coming up, they will signal with a red stop sign. The questions will be screened to avoid duplication and personal attacks. The order of answering the questions will be alternated and each candidate will have up to two minutes to respond to each question. Again, the timekeepers will signal candidates. There will be no re separate rebuttals. However, the candidates may choose to rebut another position in the time they are given to answer their questions. 
following the questions, once we are done with all the, the opening questions and the follow-up questions, each candidate will be given up to two minutes to issue a closing statement. So let's begin with the forum. Mr. Rosario, will you begin by letting us know what your qualifications and background that qualify you for this position? Great, thank you. Uh, my name is Dee Rosario, a candidate for the East Bay Regional Park District Board of Directors, Board 2. I was uh, just retired in 2013 as a, uh, after 37 years, 37 year career with the East Bay Regional Park District as a park ranger, firefighter, fire officer, and my last, and lastly, as the uh, park supervisor of Redwood Regional Park for my last 17 years. My 37 years with the East Bay Regional Park District was more than just a job. It was, it was, a, it was my life's work. And um, healing the watershed, enhancing biodiversity, and introducing children and young adults to nature. I want to see the Park District become more than just the, the largest landowner in the East Bay. I want them to be the leader for the environment. I want them to be a progressive leader for the community as well. I want them to, to go out into the community and enhance, enhance the environment by providing, optimizing educational opportunities to, our, to the people of, young, of color and to reach out to all of our communities so that we all have equal access. Did Mr. Roberts? My turn? Yes. Thank you. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to two minutes. Oh, oh. yeah. He wasn't finished. Yeah, I didn't realize. I thought, excuse me, I thought you were finished. It's a 30 second bonus, right? <laughs> <laughs> you actually have 45 seconds. Okay, great. So, uh, in retirement, I continue to work for progressive environmental and uh, social causes. I'm vice president of the Friends of Salsal Creek. I'm also the chair of the Alameda County Parks Recreation Historic and Historic Commission. I'm also um, uh, co convener for the California Alliance for Retired Americans. I believe it is critical to make our parks accessible to all of our communities and accomplish greater inclusiveness by advocating for evening meetings so that everyone can participate. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Roberts, please. First of all, I apologize for that. Um, I, I, I wish to stand. I think I feel uh, more comfortable standing. Uh, thank you. I hear you. I can hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes. yes. Great. How about if I speak really loud? Will that help? Okay, great, thank you. Uh, and thank you for, for that comment. So my name is John Roberts, and the reason I'm running is because I ride mountain bikes. Um, and I know that there are a lot of diverse users in the park, in the park system, and I'd like to represent all park users. Uh, I, my background, I work for the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the FDIC. Uh, I examine banks, if you will, and I participate in those examinations. One of the toughest things is uh, talking with bank management where they earn millions of dollars in bonuses and sometimes uh, I come up with findings and that might affect their, their really large bonuses. So part of my job with a fixed salary and, and working with that, when I come up with findings, I have to cross all my T's and dot all my I's and I have to make a, a serious case when I'm presenting a finding. Uh, so that's what I bring to the table. I have, the, uh, I have a master's in finance I have the Chartered Financial Analyst uh, CFA designation, which is like a CPA, but for financial analyst. I also have the FRM, it's the Financial Risk Manager designation. 
So that's what my credentials are in terms of, and, and what I can bring to the park. The ability to look at financial statements, the budget, if you will, and uh, make an assessment quickly in terms of uh, what types of questions I can ask and, and so forth. Uh, in terms of my, my platform, I have three things. I call it the CAT. It's the acronym for community. This is in my candidate statement. Community, accessibility, and transparency. I have 30 seconds, so I'll talk a little bit more about those things tonight. Community, accessibility, and transparency. It's not unique. Other candidates also have some of these things, and we have a lot of things in common. But those are the three things that I have and that are my goals in running for this position. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Jones-Taylor, please. I, too, um, prefer to stand. So good evening. Can you all hear me? Good yes. evening. My name is Audrey V. Jones Taylor. And um, it is certainly a pleasure and an honor to be with you all tonight to be able to tell the story of the value of parks, recreation, preservation, conservation, open space, trails, and play. I have 40 years of experience in this thing we call parks and recreation. Um, 20 of those 40 years have been in management. I started this career actually as a part-time staff in Southern California, actually in Redlands, California. I worked 22 years in the city of San Bernardino as a senior recreation supervisor with stops along the way in East Palo Alto and Long Beach and also in the city and county of San Francisco. When I was in the city and county of San Francisco, I was responsible for Golden Gate Park, McLaren Park, golf courses, the Urban Forestry Division, and the mowing crew, plus additional community parks, playgrounds, and facilities. I just recently retired as a director for the City of Oakland Parks and Recreation, where I have truly made a difference and an impact in this community by bringing community together. I am endorsed by John Sutter, and I was endorsed by John because he knows that I am no stranger to this thing we call parks and recreation. He knows that I am up for the job and ready to tackle on all the challenges, including making sure that we have balance in parks and recreation and making sure that there's equity in our services. I'm committed and passionate and dedicated to parks and recreation, conservation, preservation, open space, and play. I am running this seat to be your voice I know what it takes to get the job done. I am a fighter and I have a proven record of doing so. I want to make sure that we have total community engagement and I believe that is how we'll move the district forward. Thank you for your time. <clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Ficker, please. Good evening. Uh, my name is Kent Fickett and I want to thank the League and the Stans Group for putting this forum on tonight. Um, there four fine candidates up here, but I want to explain to you why I think I'm the best overall qualified for this position. First, my education. I'm trained uh, with a Bachelor of Science in Conservation Natural Resources from Berkeley and a Master's in Environmental Management from the University of San Francisco. I've had 20 years of board of directors experience both in the private sector and the public sector, so I understand how to deal with broad policy issues and fiduciary and budgetary matters at the board level. At the state level, I worked in Governor Brown's first administration in the early 1980s. I have a lot of experience in Sacramento. I worked with the late Senator John Edgley on the 1980 park bond measure, which was very important for the regional parks. 
And then I went to Washington, D.C. in the 1990s to work on Clean Air Act impact amendments, uh, Clean Air Amendments. So I have experience at the federal level in Washington, D.C. At the local level, for 40 years, I've worked fighting developments uh, to hold off those developments to give the parks districts and other open space advocates enough time to purchase the lands necessary to protect. Uh, my stamp is on Big Break, Round Valley, and Shell Marsh, where I actively, uh, in one case, sued the county to prevent them from, with the Sierra Club Legal Defense Fund, to protect the, prop the properties. I'm an active user of the parks. I bike, I ride, I hike with dogs with my bike. I'm a strong, I bring strong environmental credentials to the position. Past president of the National Sierra Club, Michelle Perot, has endorsed my candidacy, called me a unique candidate for this important position. I have a strong understanding of the financial issues for the park district. Uh, East Bay Times endorsed me over the other candidates on September 30th for that reason. I understand the science, the natural history, and I've used and visited most of the 65 parks. I can hit the job running, and I continue to work to make our park district the best system in the world. Thank you. Thank you. The second general question that we gave the candidates in advance is to outline what their platform and priorities would be if elected to the board. And we're going to start with Mr. Roberts on this question. So my platform, as I mentioned, CAT, uh, community, involving more uh, community in the decisions that are made at the East Bay Regional Park District. Right now you have a board with seven members and they have to make decisions for 65 parks. I think a really good model for that is what you have right across the street here in Joaquin Miller, where you have friends of Joaquin Miller, different user groups working together to hammer their differences out and then forwarding that to the city of Oakland. I would like to see more community groups empowered at the park level. That would provide with a check and balance, the board, first of all, could work more efficiently. Secondly, the board could also have a check, if you will, and balance in a more of a regionalization instead of a one-size-fits-all. Because right now, to make a change at a park level, you have to go to the board. It's like going to Congress. It's very difficult to do that. Second, accessibility. Park fees. Public institutions should treat everyone fairly. Private institutions make a profit. When you charge someone for parking, it's a disincentive to use the parks. I'm an advocate for usage of our parks. Number three, transparency. As I mentioned before, I work as a regulator. And what I would like to see is more transparency in terms of, for example, this is not unique to me. I believe Dee also has the idea of having independence of the CFO. I would take it a step further. Also have independence of the auditor. So they don't have to worry about their jobs in telling the truth in their findings when they're reviewing the financial statements of the East Bay Regional Park District. Those are some of my priorities as well in terms of uh, what I would be doing if I was on the board. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me, thank you. Um, Mr. Jones, take a please. So my priorities, if I am elected, one, to ensure that we continue to protect and preserve our natural resources. 
In order to do that, I think people need to make sure that they are aware of the natural resources. I understand and I get that those that are, used to, that are users of the natural resources, they know they are there and they know who um, operates them, but for the non-aware users, uh, they have no clue. And my fear is that, in fact, we don't engage them now, that when it's time to vote for the next bond measure, they will not be there for, um, for our support. The next thing is education. Um, I want to make sure that we expand the educational opportunities for our young people. Um, my goal and my dream is to make sure every fifth grader before they graduate has an opportunity to spend um, two or three nights out in, in nature. Then I also want to make sure that we take care of the most vulnerable communities. One of the things that I understand is it's great to preserve the open space and the ridges and the hills, but there's open space that are in the flatlands at all as well. I would love to be able to see how we start greening our communities throughout the city of Oakland and throughout the region by connecting um, pathways leading to uh, even city parks, if you, if you may. I think it's really important that everybody has the same rights that others have to be able to enjoy outdoors and have beautiful landscapes that surround their community. And then, last but not least, I want to make sure we protect our, our assets. These may be the physical assets and also the environmental assets, but also our staff. Our staff are the strongest assets that we can have in an organization. And it has proved me well over the 40 years that I have supervised and managed that if we take care of the staff, the staff in turn would take care of you, the customers. So those are my, my priorities in making sure that the employees have a voice and that they're heard and that they are understood and we are able to listen to what they recommend. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Pickett, please. Thank you. Um, I've sort of approached uh, some specific carbon reduction concepts uh, that I'd like to push uh, if elected to this position. Um, I have a history of wanting to protect the parks, and that's easy, but I want to get into some specifics. So number one, I'd like to complete the trail sections uh, for the Bay Trail from Jacklin Square to the Bay Bridge going through the Port of Oakland. Right now, it's if you've walked it or tried to uh, bike it, it's impossible to figure out how to dodge the semi-trucks and get from one point to the other point. And in the Lafayette Moraga area for that trail, there's a big gap between the Moraga Commons and the Country Club Road along the creek north of the ranch house that needs to connect those two pieces of the trail together, and that needs to be completed. I have a new idea. Uh, I agree with Audrey. I think a lot of the people in the flat areas of Ward 2 have not had the advantage to be able to get to regional parks as easily as they should have. And so I want to promote a BART to Parks Family Weekend discount pass for people to take BART to regional parks. And the first regional park, which I've been working with on the rehabilitation group for the last eight years, that board, is the Concord Naval Weapons Park. It's going to be served by the North Concord BART Station so that people can get on and any of the seven BART stations in Ward 2 and take a BART train to that station, get off and take a trail right to the regional park. Um, and I want to I try and promote free pass alternatives for return trips from, from that park. And the funds are available in Sacramento. Um, you can do this through the, uh, the, the cap and trade program. It's called the Low Carbon Transit Operations Program. You apply for grants and provide free tickets for returning people. Uh, lastly, I'm an electric car freak, I guess, 
And uh, I think that since a lot of people have to drive to regional parks, wherever the power is available in those parking lots, we ought to be putting charging stations to promote people to go to low carbon. And one last point, I agree completely with Dee's suggestion about holding, at least during the year, some off and on board meetings at somewhere like Lake Merritt Station where a public can get to it a lot easier than they do right now. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Rosario, please. Thank you. I uh, can just touch on my first one is that uh, for uh, accountability, the park district has isolated itself from the public. Their headquarters is in a place that, that is not accessible by public transit and all their meetings are during the day. So I'm advocating that meetings be held in the evening and in a site that is accessible by uh, public transit. In the old days, back in the 70s, we used to meet at the BART station headquarters. We could still do that. I also want to return the oversight of the uh, chief financial officer. It currently reports to the board, to, uh, reports to the general manager, the uh, an assistant general manager. That that position is too important. The, the park district needs to have, and the public needs to have direct access to the financial health of the park district. It doesn't make any sense to have uh, that that opinion influenced by, by a general manager. It's, it's a check, form of check and balance. And uh, third, I want to eliminate or re vastly reduce the amount of herbicides and pesticides that the park district uses. As a supervisor at Redwood Regional Park for 17 years, in order to, to, to control uh, French broom and yellow star thistle, I did not have to use any herbicides. I think uh, there is no need for those. There's a lots and lots of uh, alternative uh, uh, products out there that are uh, based on biological and botanical uh, products. And the lastly, uh, what I'd like to see is the park district needs to do more outreach to find a way to mentor and develop young people of color to know that there's jobs up here. We need to find a way to uh, enhance the program that used to be at Peralta Colleges. There used to be a Ranger Academy there. It's, it's fallen into hard times. We need to uh, form bonds with the East Bay Civic Corps and the Student Concentration Association and see if we can't get a leg up, get, give those kids a leg up so that they can have jobs here in Park District. Thank you. Thank you. We have, we have a lot of questions, both questions submitted prior to the meeting and questions now being submitted and we'll try to cover as many of them as we can. The next question, the candidates will get up to two minutes, is as you see it, what are the most important environmental challenges to the park, and how would you address those challenges? And Ms. Jones-Taylor, would you please answer first? Can you repeat the question, please? Yes. As you see it, what are the most important environmental challenge, challenges facing the park district, and what would you do to address those challenges? So I think the biggest challenge is the climate change. Constant weather and the pattern changing with climate change. I think the district really needs to start looking at how are we going to somewhat try to get ahead of the game and be prepared to make the shifts as we um, run into this this problem. For example, we're closing the lakes more and more, you know, because of the allergy. A lot of the allergy issues that we're dealing with is because of the um, the climate change. And also, as we start talking about you know the climate change and the pattern changes. You know what what happens to the flora and fauna? What happens to the um, biodiversity? What happens to the wildlife? So we need to be ready to start making that shift. As what are we going to do 
and as we continue to address the climate change. Thank you. Mr. Fickett, please. Thank you. Uh, the number one challenge I think we have is loving them to death. We have a huge population growing. We have all these vast properties. We're trying to get them developed and opened up. Um, but they get used a lot, which is great, and that creates some of the interaction conflicts that we have to resolve, whether it's bikers, horses, cattle, uh, people hiking with dogs. Um, so I think trying to find the right balance and working with the different user groups to love the parks and hopefully not hurt them uh, is important. And our primary job is to protect the natural, natural history and the cultural history of those parks and keep them intact for future generations. Secondly, I think the challenges of balancing the budget issues. We have a great uh, people employed at the park district. They live in a very expensive place. We need to provide them with an overall compensation package that, that takes them well into the place of, of living here comfortably. At the same time, we've got to buy and develop new parks and cover the operating costs as well as the acquisition costs for that. And that's going to require some very innovative, creative efforts to try and look for private sources of funding and other ways to go about it. Um, I think those are the two uh, strong issues that I think, and then it's the access issue that I've already addressed and some of my points and other speakers have addressed as well. Thank you. Mr. Rosario, please. Uh, yes, <clears throat> Ken again, are, we're very much alike as far as the population growth, but <clears throat> uh, one of the biggest things we have, need to do is, is protect uh, wildlife corridors. And uh, our, our parks are becoming little islands unto themselves. And we need to make sure that the land purchases that we're uh, doing now protect those wildlife corridors so that they can move back and forth. Um, also, the, um, when we open up these new lands, we need to make sure that we, the areas are completely surveyed so that we know which species are there, which, which are endangered, which are not. Which, which, uh, which, way, which uh, habitats are, 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 are sensitive. And we need to build trails. If we're, there are no trails, existing trail systems there, we need to build trail systems that accommodate those uh, endangered species. We don't want to, because uh, trails can be, as, as, uh, can be barriers as well to, to wildlife corridors. We need to be sensitive to that. When we develop new parks, we definitely have to take those into consideration and also how to get people to and from the parks. Thank you. Mr. Roberts, please. I have two thoughts in terms of the environment. Uh, the first one, Dee mentioned, uh, the use of chemicals, uh, herbicides, pesticides. Uh, every year, uh, East Bay Regional Park District puts out a PDF file and it lists the chemicals that are used. I'd like to take transparency to the next level. I would like to have that web page, we're in the 21st century, uh, the ability for park users to go in and make comments on that web page. It doesn't cost a lot of money, but I would like to have the East Bay Regional Park District be that transparent because they are a public entity, they are taking our tax money through uh, parcel taxes, and for that reason they have a responsibility in terms of the chemicals that they use. For example, they use chemicals to kill squirrels, to kill rats, to kill a lot of different animals. Those animals then die somewhere else. They leave a carcass and uh, predatory animals could come by whether it's a snake or it's a, uh, a hawk or whatever and you can have a, a, an impact that you really don't want uh, so I would like to have more transparency on that end uh, second I, I'm putting my money where my mouth is I haven't printed any flyers 
There's no lawn signs. Lawn signs literally prevent people from seeing beautiful landscapes. So the election time comes up and you have a lot of lawn signs. I did none of that. So I'm putting my money where my mouth is and everything that I'm doing in terms of my campaign is word of mouth and electronic. So thank you. Thank you. Before we this, we got many, this is as an organization, Forum is uh, co-sponsored by the Oregon Trails Organization, and we got many, many questions about trails. I'm, before we get into the more, I'm going to sort of summarize a couple of these questions. One is to ask each of the candidates to address the competing interest of the park, the competition between bicyclists, between hikers, between dog users, between equestrians, and how they would go about increasing and improving the enforcement of the current regulations. So Mr. Fickett, will you please address that question? First? Sure, thank you very much. That's a very good question. And for those of you that are a little younger than I am, it's been an issue since the 1970s. Um, when we first started working on buying large tracts of land, uh, there were lots of uh, user interface issues between cattle, uh, grazing on those properties, what they did to the riparian areas, the interaction with hikers, folks with dogs, and, and folks on horseback. There weren't as many mountain bikers. Uh, if you look at how things evolved, the, the staff did a great job of addressing some of the grazing issues, trying to manage the grazing situations better and the fire management situation a little bit better. Um, and the horsing use, horse use still continues, but it hasn't grown. It's sort of stayed steady or diminished slightly. But along in the 1990s come the the mountain bikers, and it's great to go biking. I have a, I have a 20 year old Quest X iron horse bike that I ride, but it's mostly on paved trails and, and, and on slightly unpaved trails. Um, and so now we're seeing a lot of interaction and a lot of use. We're getting a lot more people out to the parks. We have people doing Pokemon in the parks. And so you have the, that, that potential conflict of someone looking at the screen and chasing Pokemon when somebody's on a bike, and then you have the horse and the hikers and the dogs. Um, I think the park district, and I, I want to applaud the bikers for this, because typically what happens when something comes along new, like mountain biking, and it's, it's pushed real hard and people get into it, um, policymakers tend to overreact. And I think the park district immediately overreacted and said, no, 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 we can't have mountain bikes in parks. People were concerned about trails and wildlife. I think where they've evolved the policies to now is a good one. I think in some of the older parks, it's going to be harder to use those. But as we open up newer parks, if we parks, if we build the trails so that they're better prepared to handle both bikers, hikers, horses, dogs, uh, that will be a good thing as we grow the parks. Thank you, Mr. Rosario. Please. Yes, uh, <clears throat> the uh, multi-use trails in the park district are form the backbone for the park district. And what we need to do is a better job of educating each user group to etiquette. If, if people have it in their heads that, that they have to share the trail with so many different uh, groups, then hopefully we can, uh, we can have a better trail experience. But as far as enforcement, my idea is to, um, you know, enforcement of existing laws, uh, I would like to decentralize the, uh, our, our police department. They spend so much time in their cars going from headquarters to the reaches, far reaches of the park district. What I'd like to see is have them uh, build substations where the officers report to those substations and they spend more time in their, in their local areas. They would know where the problem areas are 
they would know park staff, they would actually get to know some of the park users, and I think they would, uh, it would be a form of community policing. And I think that is a solution for uh, enforcement, but uh, the biggest thing is just education for everybody, that we have to share these trails, just be aware. Thank you, Mr. Roberts, please. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that uh, in this order, mountain biking, dogs, and equestrians are very close to my heart. I've done all three. I, uh, on my webpage, since you took the time to come here tonight, um, I hope that you can go home and look at our webpages. And my webpage has a section on etiquette. And it's focused towards mountain bikers. And the question related to competition between park users, I do not see it as a competition. And anybody that sees it as a competition, I, I don't agree with. Uh, the etiquette talks about mountain bikers, how to work with horses. If you see a horse, horses, uh, equestrians have the, the right of way over everybody. Uh, talk to them, wait, wait for their signal, and so forth. It's a whole paragraph. Um, the way I feel about different users is people go to parks for three reasons. They go for the escape. Nature is beautiful, but quiet. Number two, they go because sometimes you can get exercise. You walk, you hike, uh, uh, of course you hike, you run, uh, you ride a mountain bike. Uh, number three is, believe it or not, the social aspect. And you don't necessarily always get all three. I would like to, everyone to get all three when you go to parks. I want the dog walkers to talk with the mountain bikers when they run into the trail. The way you do that is you publish the etiquette at the trailhead. Nothing upsets me more as a mountain biker than seeing another mountain biker doing something that goes against the etiquette the way I wrote it. I'll give you an example. Going around the blind corner, you shouldn't go any faster than half your, your sight distance, because if somebody else comes at you at the very same speed and you, do, you go faster than that, you're going to have a head on. So you should not go any faster than that. And one time I saw somebody in Walking Miller do that, and I yelled at him, and I said, hey, because there was actually some hikers that got a little spooked by this person, and that really upset me. Once you put up an etiquette at the trailhead, I'm not talking about rules, I'm talking about etiquette, you can say, did you read that sign? Self-policing is very important to make this work. Thank you, Mr. Jones, Taylor, please. multi-use trails. Yes. Make sure I have the question. And you talk about competition. Yes, and enforcement, please. The competition for the use of the trails and enforcement of the current rules. Oh, enforcement. So it's unfortunate as a society we continue to talk about competition, we talk about opposition, we talk about us and them. I think that's one of the, the problems. You know, people are part of the natural order. And people have to learn how to coexist in the lands that we that we have. I believe that right now the philosophy that East Bay Regional Park has is one of a shared path, and I think that it, it, it works to a certain extent. But I also believe that, like my colleagues are saying, there's a need for etiquette, there's a need for educational um, pamphlets and brochures and conversations. Um, one of the things that John talked about earlier was the working group started over at Joaquin Miller Park. And when I was the director of Oakland Parks and Recreation, you know, it wasn't always like that. They had a lot of fights back and forth and arguing about the bikes and the dogs and the whole bit. But when we formed that working group, which is a model, in my opinion, 
that I'd like to be able to see and take over to East Bay Regional, Regional Park. So I believe that, um, and I also believe with the changing demographics and the increased population in, in East Bay, we have to start really looking at how to best use our trails. We have to look at the times that the trails are being used by the dog walkers, by the, um, the joggers, and start really having some conversation. And you can only do that when you bring everybody in the room together. And then in terms of the, the, um, the enforcement, I really think that people need to enforce themselves, police themselves. It works, and it's working in Joaquin Miller Park. I don't necessarily feel that that is an issue that we need to get the police involved in, but we do have a volunteer patrol system already set up within East Bay Regional Park. And so maybe a more presence with having them at the table with everybody else to talk about how do we move forward as a district. Thank you. Thank you. So the next question, Sumatia's question, and I will read it, is what steps would you take to increase user group participation in determining rules and access for the parks? And what have you done in the past to include user participation in your work or volunteer activities? So would you, would you please start with Mr. Rosario? Could you repeat the question again? Yes. What steps would you take to increase user participation in, in, in determining rules and access for the parks? And what have you done in the past to increase user participation in your work or volunteer activities. I think the, as I can, if I can just sort of paraphrase this, they're asking the candidates to say what, act, what steps they would take to increase the number of users in the parks and what have they done in the past to increase the number of users in the park. Mr. Rosario, please. Increase the number of parks. So, number one is, is uh, I would encourage to, uh, encourage different groups, just like Audrey and, and, and uh, uh, both John have said, having focus groups is a great idea. I've done that in the past as a supervisor with, uh, with the East, when I was at Redwood. And um, getting, getting the, uh, the, the groups together is, is a great idea, and you can do a lot of brainstorming. As far as getting access, encouraging, how, encouraging more people to come to the park, I was uh, very uh, innovative in encouraging the uh, Art and Nature Festival in Redwood Park. And I worked with a couple of artists who approached me and said, uh, how can we get a different uh, perspective into the park, an art, an art perspective? And so they, they, uh, they pitched me their idea, and I said, let's, let's go for it. And so that, came, so that came about, Art and Nature, and we incorporated uh, uh, schools hardship schools to work with them and to bring them part of the, be part of the program. And in the last five years, that program has uh, brought thousands of pe new people to the park. The last, last year's uh, was over the top, they drew 8,000 people. And almost 90% of them were brand new to the park. But uh, that being said, that, that program is now going to be, because it's got a little too big, and so they're, they're gonna downsize it. But um, Finding innovative ways to, to draw non-traditional users to the park, you need to be open and find different ways to, um, to just bring them in. Art is a great one. 
bringing in schools is always a, is a very good one. I, we had restoration programs with schools in conjunction with the Bus Express program, and uh, that to me was the most rewarding, working with the kids. Thank you, Mr. Roberts, please. I, uh, I have thought of this question and answering it backwards. What have I done in terms of getting more participation? And as a mountain biker, uh, the Bicycle Trail Council of East Bay has a program that's called the Youth Mountain Bike Adventures. And what it does is it takes uh, underprivileged kids from Oakland and it uh, lends them a bicycle, gets them to, uh, gives them a helmet that they can take home, puts on gloves and, and so forth. And I've participated in these rides, usually in the summer because winter you have rain. And uh, the last ride I want to talk about, uh, there was this uh, young uh, teen a girl and an adult goes with an individual to teach them how to mountain bike. So I'm kind of like a coach and I work with my children in mountain biking so I, I have a little experience in that. And it was great this year, at first really wobbling uh, and uh, at the back of the pack. Um, even the, the, the right leader kept, came up and was like, yes, I'm problems, what's going on? And I didn't want to say it's because she's just learning. Uh, but towards the end of the, the, the ride, she, she, she was a soccer player, really fit young woman. She pedaled really hard and she was running mid-pack towards the end of the ride. And it was just really inspiring to see that. I think that if you, you tell a kid, uh, do, you want, you know, do you want to play a video game? Do you want to go hiking or do you want to go mountain biking? A friend of mine said, don't pick mountain biking. Uh, so that's one way to get the youth out there and involved uh, as stewards of, of the park system. Uh, the other thing that in terms of uh, you know, involving more people to get to the parks, I already talked about lowering fees. Uh, and then thirdly is, is the rules. Uh, there are so many rules for the East Bay Regional Park District that you almost have to be a lawyer and go through Ordinance 38. And it makes it difficult to enjoy yourself. As earlier Audrey mentioned, that you know, you're not going to get in trouble with the police at Joaquin Miller Park, but there's just so many rules in the East Bay Regional Park District that, that you, I'm kind of tense when I go to the East Bay Regional Park District. Thank you, Mr. Jones. Taylor, please. Okay, so what I wrote down was that what steps we use um, and what have you done in the past to engage the community. Okay, so, so the first thing, I think total community engagement is, is critical to um, developing and moving forward and getting people, you know, engaged and involved. What I did in the city of Oakland Parks and Recreation, as soon as I came on, I established a board of associates. So the first thing I would like to do here is look for those that are the eyes and the ears out in the community that have the issues, whether it be with the horses or the dogs or the walkers or the bikers. And again, like I said earlier, bring everybody to the table to start the discussion about what the problem is and how do we remove some of the barriers that we have more people engaged in the parks. And then I think focus groups are really are critical. Um, in the city of Oakland, when I was a director, I had focus groups every two years, and that was to make sure that I had the pulse of the community understood with the changing of demographics, what was needed, so we make sure that we were on top of the trends and meeting the needs of that given population and that community. Again, as I said, I believe totally in community engagement. I think it's really important to have a mechanism for folks to be able to give you the opinions. And I have an open door policy and always able and willing to hear. And then in terms of the outreach, 
you know, again, I talked earlier about the non-aware users. I really think it's important to be in the communities where folks are not um, accessible to a park and have not gone to the parks. So that, again, that's connecting with the schools, both the city schools and the counties, and introducing the programs and bringing the kids up there. But more importantly, starting to green the space on where they, where they live. When I was in the city of Oakland, I implemented the Intimate Evening as a way to bring the community together, as well as starting the concerts in the, in the park. There's a variety of mechanisms that we need to do to bring folks together so that everybody understands the parks are for them. Thank you, Mr. Baker, please. Thank you. Uh, there's, a, there's a common theme here, but I'll try to hit it a little more directly. I think a collaborative focused workshop process where you get the, uh, the uh, special interest groups representing all the users that exist in the same place and, and go through a process of developing self-use rules and guidelines. Probably take some examples in parks where there have been problems and use those to break down and come up with what they think the right solutions are. More importantly though, you need to have a feedback on that. You need to, be, you need to include those same groups and that same processes in a self-assessment or assessment process the park districts to go back to parks after you've implemented these programs to see if things are still going the way they were or are they getting better. And then lastly, uh, we have a new park. It's just in the concept planning places out in central Contra Costa County. Uh, you've got to incorporate that user youth group process into this new planning process to make sure that the trails are wide enough, that they address the issues for the bikers and the hikers and the dog folks. That's extremely critical as part of an overall policy implementation program. Now, personally, I've organized local environmental groups to take opposition or support certain developments in the land use processes in Contra Costa County. And most importantly, I was appointed by the Board of Supervisors to a big Congress on the general plan, and we had a number of environmental groups, and we were able to lead in helping pull that group together with the, uh, with the ranchers to push strongly for an urban limit line, which tied in strategically to what the regional parks and the Save Mount Diablo and others were trying to do, which is to protect the, the, the open space lands that buffer the, the uh, Mount Diablo State Park. And uh, so that's an example of where I've actually pulled people together on a coalition basis and organized to, put, to implement just different users and use different interest groups into getting something successful to happen. Thank you. The next question is, do you favor any changes to the dog regulations that now exist in the regional park system? Mr. Roberts, will you please address that question first? Changes to the dog regulations. Uh, I, like I mentioned, I'm for diversity of, of uh, recreation in the parks. Um, and I, I had a dog that I loved very much. And this dog, I could walk with the dog and it would heal for miles. Uh, I could tell it to sit, and I could go in the store shopping, and the dog would sit outside for half an hour. I could see it from the store, and then I'd go out. So well-trained. And I think that there are some dogs out there that are very well-trained, and you should reward the owners for that. So if you have a person with, let's say, a military vet or someone with a highly trained uh, dog, that, that I think they would deserve to get greater access without a leash in East Bay Regional Park Districts. How do you do that? 
Well, right now there's a patrol structure for mountain bikers and for hikers uh, within the East Bay Regional Park District. I sent them an email, I, I contacted them maybe a month ago, I haven't heard back from them. But something like that, uh, where somebody gets certified that your dog is not gonna be posing a threat to uh, animals in the park or, or other park users, and if you have a highly trained dog, I think you should reward that. And by creating that kind of program, more dog owners would have an incentive to train their dogs better. And, and I'm sorry? The program already exists. It's called the Companion Dog Patrol. There you go. So thank you for, for adding that. Um, I don't own a dog right now because I, am, uh, I have a very small yard and that would be unfair to the dog. But uh, I'm totally for that. Thank you. Mr. Jones, Taylor, please. In terms of changing the policy, you know, when I was in the city of Oakland, you keep hearing me say that, we certainly had you know, challenges of uh, finding more space for our dog you know, walkers in. And we actually wind up changing the ordinance to allow more dog um, user play areas and on-leash and off-leash areas as well. So I think in that research, East Bay Regional Park has you know, an excellent policy as relates to, and, and very liberal in terms of um, dog spaces for, for dogs to play. But as I said earlier, you know, the population is growing, more and more people have dogs, and, I, and the, it seems like the trails and the spaces that we have already allocated are getting narrow and narrow and smaller because there's more dogs coming into the area. I would be interested in really looking at the, the study and looking at the policy to looking to see what changes we can um, can make. You know, I am certainly a, a, a dog lover. I don't have one yet, because my husband says I don't have time to take care of her. But I do plan on getting a dog. But I want to make sure that it is equitable for all the users as, as well. And I think if, in fact, we're going to be making any drastic changes in terms of reducing you know, areas for dogs to play, I think that needs to be a serious um, conversation and a group discussion and a focus group or hearing, if you will, to make sure that we are clear on the regulations and we educate on why we're making those changes. But I think, you know, policies are, are put in place for a purpose and a reason, but I also think there's time for us to go back to the table in many areas and relook at that and study that to see if it makes sense for this time and date. Thank you, Mr. Pickett, please. Um, I believe as a director, my priorities are real simple. Parks, that's protecting the natural and cultural history of those parks, the salamanders, the plants, people, that is allowing people to enjoy them, the taxpayers to go out and enjoy them as much as possible, and pets are third. I have a dog. <coughs> I can take the dog to Sibley off leash perfectly and, and take her for a nice walk and it's wonderful. I can go out to Morgan Territory and walk the Bob Walker Trail. Um, there are certain places where you can do things with pets. I always worry about uh, um, John Walker's, uh, Bob Walker Trail, uh, the, the interaction with the mountain bikers out there because you can't control your dog exactly. You, you worry about those types of things. Um, I think putting a dog on a leash is not a problem. The dogs love to go. They love to go anywhere, even if they're on a leash. And if it requires you to put your dog on a leash, to keep the dog, to keep safety 
as its primary issue for people that are using the parks. Someone on a horse, someone with another dog, someone on a bike. Um, I, I think it's good to have rules in place. And you can always move them. They're a movable feast. But you've got to recognize, in my mind, I have to recognize the priorities in this job, and that's protecting the parks, natural resources, protecting the people for safety and allowing them to use it when the pets come last. Thank you. Mr. Rosario, please. Thank you. Um, the East Bay Regional Park District has one of the most lenient uh, off-lease rules in the nation. And I don't foresee any changes in that policy. Uh, what, we, what we need to do, though, is to make sure that we're protecting our natural resources. Here in Redwood, we have 38 miles of trail. And I recreated the, um, the resource protection area along Stream Trail, three miles and also another mile here in the Serpentine Prairie to protect natural resources. And in, in particular, in the, in the uh, uh, Serpentine Prairie, it was to protect uh, the equestrians so that they have safe passage, because they have, we have, there's 90 horses just on the other side of the road there, and they need safe passage to get to the Dunn Trail. So in those instances, dogs need to be on leash. And one, one of the things I'd like to see, though, is uh, some kind of, uh, real determination of what is voice control. And uh, <laughs> that is always, that is the biggest gray area that we have. Uh, and I'd like to see some kind of a determination of that. But other than that, I don't see any changes. I don't see, foresee any other changes in, in the dog policy. Thank you. The next question from the audience is, describe your experience, if any, with large budgets. And I'd like to sort of paraphrase this. I think the questioner is saying, if you're a member of the board of the East Bay Park System, you are in an organization with a great many employees with a large budget that is a complex organization. And what are the, what management and experience skills do you have that will qualify you to take on that function? Ms. Jones-Taylor, please. So management and budget, paraphrase it even more. Right. <laughs> okay, to so deal with, to deal with a, a board overseeing a large organization with a significant budget or a significant number of employees. So um, I was in the city and county of um, San Francisco for about four years, four and a half years, where I was responsible for a budget of over $38 million and um, direct reports of 72 direct reports at one particular um, time and over um, 1,300 employees. So I have the background working in the city in, um, of Oakland where I just retired in December. You know, again, um, total FTE about 1,400 full-time um, equivalents, full-time equivalents. Budget started when I first started the department with over $28 uh, million. And, um, and so I certainly have the management you know, background on managing the facilities and the parks, over 140, um, responsible for over 140 parks, responsible for the capital improvements and responsible finding money, when in fact the city of Oakland had no money, responsible for managing the operations of 20 direct reports for the 12 years that I was in the city of, of Oakland. So I certainly have the background, I have the expertise, I believe training is critical and really important. I believe in customer service, I believe that the employees are the first line of customers 
for me because if again, as I indicated, if they are taken care, then in turn they will take care of each and every one of you. So I come with 40 years of experience, 20 years in management. So um, I am ready for the task at hand with the organization such as East Bay Regional Department. Mr. Thicker, please. Well, in my Renaissance career, I uh, <laughs> built large power plants. Um, projects that would be in the hundreds of millions of dollars with multiple disciplinary teams um, all the way from engineering to environmental folks, cultural resource folks, uh, to make sure that they got jobs done on time and on budget and they were responsible for making sure they did, didn't do things when they were in construction that harmed the environment, that they were consistent with permit requirements and obligations. And uh, so I, I worked with large budgets, the Park District budget is $210 million budget, uh, at least it, was, it is for 2016, so I've had the experience of budgets greater than that and, and a lot less than that as well. And in terms of the staff folks, I've had direct reports to me uh, numbering in the tens of, of hundreds to hundreds of individuals depending on the type of project that I was involved with. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Rosario, please. Yes, uh, my experience is much smaller, but I was the supervisor of Red River Regional Park uh, for 17 years. It's 1,838 acres and 38 miles of trail. And I had four employees, had a budget of $800,000 uh, annually. And uh, the, uh, it's very easy to, uh, to extrapolate the experience in River Park and, and uh, extrapolate that in, into the park district. Um, the, each park, is, even though they're unique, uh, I know exactly what a park needs on the ground to operate. And so that gives me an advantage as to when we start opening new parks, what that's going to take. Uh, a lot of times, uh, staffing levels are uh, are an afterthought. And I think if we can come up with a, uh, if we have someone on the board who's experienced with actually operating a park and how to schedule a park, then uh, it would be an advantage to the park district. Mr. Roberts, please. I, uh, I want to elaborate on something I said a little bit earlier. Uh, supervising banking institutions, there's something called the three lines of defense. The first line of defense is the actual management, and they should be doing their job. Second line of defense is risk management. In this case, the CFO could act in that role, and the third line of defense is audit that provides oversight to the others in case that's a third line of defense to ensure that things are being done correctly. Um, and I like what Audrey mentioned about, you know, people come first, staff comes first. And I would put a lot of reliance on separating those two lines of defense and reporting straight to the board. In terms of my experience, um, I've worked with a lot of different banking institutions, over a trillion dollars. Um, you're looking at loans, investments, and so forth. So numbers were, you start talking about billions instead of millions or thousands. Uh, the, the other thing in terms of working uh, with the FDIC is I've had two uh, managerial roles. The first one was uh, working as a manager of uh, risk-sharing asset management. That's when the FDIC would buy assets and they would, uh, in turn, uh, they take over a failed institution and the assets they have to sell to the public. And I was overseeing a group that was managing that. Uh, I also worked as a manager for a franchise asset marketing which was a team that would go into a bank to market it before it closed. Uh, so I also have managerial experience in terms of uh, providing oversight. 
Thank you. Uh, Mr. Dodson gave me a number of questions this afternoon, and one of them had been asked previously, and I'm going to ask the candidates this, and I'll read it. The Park District has acquired vast amounts of land in the past few years without a significant increase in operating funds. How can the Park District open the new land to public use without increasing its operating costs? So I think there are a couple of components of that, that there is this new land that has not been open to the public how are you going about it? How are you going to go about opening that to the public? And how are you going to deal with the cost issues? Mr. Fickett, please. That's a hard one, and that was a good question. Um, it can be done. Um, I think you have to get creative in terms of sources of funds. Can you get sponsorships for operating budgets in certain local parks locally? I think you also have to work with uh, the employee unions and the folks staff our parks to see if there's creative ways, more efficient ways to open those parks with less personnel, uh, use electronics and visitor kiosk things and that type of thing that help uh, make education of people as they use these facilities easier um, with limited staff involvement. Um, but I don't think you can avoid hiring people, new people to run these parks. And I think the important thing is to develop a track record with the employees unions and the park users that shows that we've done a fiduciarily good job of using the taxpayers' monies. And then going back to the taxpayers and asking them when, they, when we need money to do things. We've been very successful with this park district. I do not want to see uh, the park district become another park. BART has a terrible record now with the, with the electric, trying to get more money to do things that probably are needed. Um, and we cannot have let that happen to the park district. So you've got to work with the staff folks to try to do that as efficiently as possible. And that's what I'd be charged to do. Thank you. Mr. Rosario, please. Uh, yes. Uh, this is the biggest challenge for the park district as far as oh, how are we going to open all these new parks. And one of the things that you have to pay attention to is the growth of uh, new construction. Because both 84% of our tax taxes is a property tax. So a lot, of, and then there's going to be a lot of turnover. So you got to just pay attention to uh, new properties that are being built, turnover of existing properties. During the during the depre uh, the downturn, starting in 2008, the park district did very well because although there was a lot of homes that went that were uh, uh, foreclosed. When those homes turned around, eventually when the economy started uptick, they were taxed at a higher rate. And so, because of our budget structure, the, the, the district budgets quite uh, conservatively. They don't, they don't base their budget on how much money comes in every year. They just extend their budget 3% every year, which is a very good device. And so they built their, during that depression year, they were able to, um, build up a good reserve. And so with that, if you keep that in mind, uh, that there's constant turnover, I mean, just precinct walking in uh, Piedmont, there's going to be a huge turnover in the next five, 10 years. There's a lot of people there that are uh, they're elderly. But so there's a huge, turn huge turnover property, uh, new, new construction, especially in the East County, where we have the East County, um, have that conservation plan where they did, they're going to 
plan to develop along major roads and everything in the middle is going to go to the regional parks. That's where, that new growth is where our money is going to be. And hopefully that'll be enough. But there's another structure uh, too when the park district got their, uh, increased their tax rate to 10 cents. I'll have to stop, but uh, we can do that later. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. Roberts, please. So I, I love the thought of new land being acquired and having access to more uh, Parkland, um, and I think the the park has done a uh, the park has done somebody yeah speak louder the park has done a great job on the conservation side uh, in terms of how do you uh, bring new land online uh, my my personal thought is that there should be more development in parks that are near urban centers. So what I'm talking about is not necessarily building a building as much as getting the most out of the park. It could be creating a surgical, what I call a, a non-invasive or, or minimally invasive trail that nobody can see. It's very low impact. You have new trail technology. A lot of the trails that are built nowadays are, are you know, leaps ahead of what the trails were, let's say, 40, 50 years ago, where a lot of them were cow trails or were rancher roads. Uh, so I would say that the new acquisitions would tend to be more out in the you know, less urban areas, uh, require less development. And that's one way you can save money uh, in, in opening those parks. They should be more of a model, kind of a Yellowstone or, or Yosemite type of a park where you tend to leave it in more pristine, minimal services uh, versus an urban park where I think you should have uh, a lot more uh, uh, money spent and, and, and to ensure that the, the people that live in the city have a uh, nearby park and that you know crowding and so forth can be worked out. Because I think at the end of the day, uh, Central Park is a great example of a park that is surrounded by millions of people and gets millions of uh, visitors, but caters to everybody. You know, if you live in New York, you have Central Park next door. It's almost like having a gym next door. You can go, you can work out, you can do so forth. So there's there's. There's, uh, you know, something for everybody. Uh, I don't think it's a, it's a zero-sum game. I think there's wealth can be created by balancing uh, the approach. Thanks. Ms. Jones-Taylor, please. Balancing, that's always a, an issue, especially when it comes time to, you know, to funding and opening up. I think one of the great things about East Bay Regional Park, they have to acquire a lot of land, that is a land bank at this particular point, because they don't have um, the resources to, one, develop them, nor do they have the resources to, um, to maintain them. And one of the things that they're certain of, that they're not going to open you know, these parks until um, they have sufficient staffing to be able to do, do so. And, and again, for me, it's really about leveraging services. You know, I think, you know, in, in our profession of parks and recreation, we do a lot of things in silos. Um, so the district is here and then you have the municipalities here. But I think one of the great models of what East Bay Regional Park has done is, that, for example, uh, is a soccer field that is shared between multiple you know, entities where they contribute to purchase the, the, the land because there's a need for um, for the soccer field, but they, they acquired the land and then Berkeley and all these other entities came together to manage them and to, um, and to operate them. And I think we need to be able to do more of that. I also think we need to look at the untapped resources and that is development. 
as um, people start talking about more and more of this development, and it's happening in this company, we know that we have a housing crisis, but I also think that we need to bring the developers together at the table to start having some conversations about them taking up some of these um, responsibilities as well, especially if they're building against bridges and trails such as Oak Knoll. So I, I believe there's a great opportunity here, um, perfect timing to be able to bring people together to make a difference, to continue to open up our parklands, and I also want to go back to making sure we are bringing um, the most vulnerable communities as well. And there's a lot of groups out there that want to be a part of it. Thank you, Mr. Rosario. Thank you. I had some good I ideas. I didn't finish. <laughs> 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 uh, we have one. We're coming sort of. There are many good questions, and unfortunately, we cannot get to most of them. But we're going to have one general question, and then we're going to give each of the candidates time to issue a closing statement. So. The general question is, what, if any, steps do you believe need to be taken to improve relations between management and the employees of the park? Mr. Rosario, please. Yeah, I think it's very simple. It's just simply communication and an open door. Um, in 2013, the employees almost went on strike, 4th of July. And the, one of the main triggers was that uh, members of the board were not allowed to talk to anyone in the union. And, that, and there is no... There is no reason not to. Uh, there's no legal, uh, there's no legal uh, grounds to not be able to talk with the, the union as long as you don't disclose any, uh, anything in, in, in closed doors or closed session. Communication is the biggest key. And, and uh, both sides, they need, I mean, the board needs to be more active to, uh, between both parties. And I see myself as, as a bridge to that to that communication. Because I understand both, I understand the union side, I also see the management side too, but without open communication, there's just mistrust. And if there's mistrust, then there's, there's no way that they're gonna, they're gonna be able to work together. And as a, as a union steward for 18 years, and chief steward and president, I worked with management for many, many years and we were able to always come to an agreement. And I had the respect of a lot of the managers because of my style of uh, negotiation. And uh, I think we could bridge that. And I think it's just simply just communication and, and uh, open-mindedness. Mr. Roberts, please. Well, whoever asked the question, thank you. That is a very good question. And uh, communication works great with, with uh, different uh, types of users if you communicate. Uh, stealing some ideas from Audrey as well. Um, but the, the, the question is, is really a, a big, tough one. I see it in my work, and I've seen it in other places. Uh, if you have chemistry with if you have chemistry with your supervisor, it's all great, and you could be doing the same job and get a different supervisor, and then you're not doing anything right. And when you get into those situations where you have a supervisor that you just there's no chemistry, what do you do? So I understand the union, for example, can come in and provide some balance to bad management. Uh, now there's a balance, as was mentioned earlier. You know, how much union is enough union? If you need a union, that means management is not doing their job. That's the way I see it. 
And I think that, I mean, is there an easy solution to this one? No, there is no easy solution. But you need to provide oversight and you need to have some way for employees to be heard from the bottom up, not just from the top down. And unfortunately, there's a lot of top down right now because a lot, everything is about what the board says. And the park supervisors are not empowered to listen to the park user. I haven't seen a, when I go to Redwood Park, I don't see a suggestion box like I see at the library. I go to the East Bay Regional Park District's website and the park supervisors aren't even listed. We need to empower those park supervisors to have discussions with the park users. We need their evaluations to uh, they, they get credit for working with the local communities. And by the way, the local communities can provide volunteer work and lower the cost of some of the, the, the projects and trail building at, at parks. So it's a tough question. I, I don't, I'm not gonna claim I have an answer to that one. Thank you. Ms. Jones-Taylor, please. As I indicated earlier, uh, employees are certainly my first line of, of customers. And the way that I think that we really need to improve it with East Bay Regional Park, and I talked to a lot of employees um, when I first started this, um, this journey. And one of the things, we just need to provide a platform. I don't believe they need to go to the individual board members and have their conversations secretly. I think on a quarterly basis, they should be able to come before the board and share what the issues are and what the concerns are. And I think the board should be willing to listen. And, and, and I don't believe that we wait till there's an adversarial relationship or something that's brewing. I think on a quarterly basis, if we give them the flat platform to be able to come and speak freely, and not just the union, but I'm talking about employees in general, and have a spot for them on the agenda where they're able to come and talk about the good, the bad, and, and the ugly. Then they will feel that they are, 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 are a big part. I, I agree with John, you know, it's about really empowering the staff. You know, I think the training piece, and when you do things for them, and you let them tell you what they like to see, it makes a big difference in terms of breaking down those barriers and, those, um, and, those, and, and the communication um, failures. But like my colleagues have said up here, communication is key. But they need to have the platform to be able to have that dis discussion. And the platform does not necessarily mean coming to the board of directors individually. It means coming as a team and speaking to the board as a team so everyone hears the same story so that we're able to move forward and address those concerns before it becomes an issue. Mr. Fenton, please. Well, I, I can tell you I, I grew up with a, a great person giving me an example of this. My dad was assistant superintendent of business construction in Mount Devon Unified School District. And I played golf at a young age with him, and I can remember going out on a Thursday afternoon with Dave Platt, who was head of the Certified Employees Union, so they could talk about things. And this goes right to Dee's point. Um, you don't need a formal platform. You need to respect people. And in this era of partisan election nonsense, being able to just go out, I mean, I can tell you right now, I, I've only known Dee for a couple of months, but just in the brief interactions, if I was a board member, I would have no problem calling him up. He's got real experience in the parts. He knows what's going on. He's a park employee. He's a union person. Asking him, talking to him. Doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything, but you have to respect 
and the interest in talking with people, communicating, as Dee said. You should be able to work through these things. And the Park District's done a great job. And it's, more, it's important for the employees, and it's important for the Park District that we resolve our issues as peacefully and amicably as possible to grow the parks, keep the employees happy, and make sure the taxpayers feel like they're getting the best value. And one last thing, I've got a little bit extra time. Stan asked a good question, tough question, about how you balance new development. Now I talked about efficiency. Well, he came up with a great idea. How much money do you save in the budget, operating budget? If you open up a substation, a sub substation out in the eastern part of the county for the parks, police department, does that, does that budget savings allow you to put an extra one or two people in a new development park? I mean, those are the times, that types of ideas that we need to be putting forward, regardless of who the candidate is that wins, into this new board so we can try to find ways to get better money out of the park's existing operating budget so we can do things that Stan's talking about, which is to grow the parks and develop them in, in harmony with everything. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. We will now have closing statements. Mr. Roberts, please, first. How much time do I have? You have to two minutes. Okay, great. I'm going to take notes on this one. Um, and I, I want to go out with a great finale. Um, I do not have any endorsements. I didn't ask for any endorsements. So when I, if I happen to be on the board, I'm going to listen to park users. That, that's my point on that. Um, a lot of board members, the board members that are now uh, moving on, uh, have been on the board for 20, 30 years. Um, so what happens when you have a board for that long, it's, it's no one's fault, it's just a common phenomenon to have group think. You start to think like a group and you stop thinking outside of the group. Um, it, it's just a normal thing. So I'm committing, if I were to end up in the board, to limit my term to two, total of eight years. Um, I'm also committing to not taking a salary. Um, it's, you know, you're doing this for the love of it, right? Um, and is there a salary that comes from this? <laughs> no salary? Perfect. <laughs> I won't have to fight saying I don't want a salary. But somebody had said it was like $5,000 a year or something. And, and to be honest, that's not why I'm doing it. So anyway. Um, and uh, thank you uh, for uh, being here tonight, for being an advocate for democracy and for uh, being informed. Uh, this is a big deal. And I also invite everyone, uh, if you have a chance and you're very passionate about something, to run for office. You learn a lot. And you learn how to make good choices uh, in terms of when the election comes. Um, and. Uh, Check out everybody's website. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jones Taylor, please. Now I'm gonna to come to you. So again, my name is Audrey V. Jones Taylor. And I first of all want to thank Stan and the League of Women Voters for hosting this forum for us tonight. It has been very educational for me, and I hope it has been the same for you all. I certainly want to make sure that you know that Audrey V. Jones-Taylor is passionate, committed, and dedicated. I have been in this field for over 40 years. I am a hard worker, and I have been working hard along this campaign trail and have learned a lot about the district. I come with the energy, and I come with the commitment to continue to make a difference in this region and in this area. 
I come understanding and knowing that Audrey V. Jones Taylor is at the bottom of the ballot. So I come asking you to look and start at the back of the ballot and the bottom of the ballot and look for Audrey with two E's and no Y. And there may be some other Audrey's on that ballot. I don't want you to go with the first Audrey you see. Start in the back and work your way up. Look for Audrey with two E's, no Y. Take 10 of your friends to the ballot with you and vote for, and vote for me. It has certainly been a pleasure to spend this evening with you. Again, I have been endorsed by John Sutton. I've been endorsed by the East Bay Women's Political Action Group. I've been endorsed by the East Bay um, Police Association and a host of members and community members such as yourself. I will be in the back of the room for any additional questions. I thank you for your time and I thank you for your energy and for joining us tonight. Thank you, Mr. Baker, please. Well, if we, when we get a chance at the end of this, I have a campaign brochure that has a picture on it. I'm just showing you the picture. I'm not showing you the information on it. And this is what I'm doing this for. This is my grandson. In 2034, we celebrate the 100th year anniversary of this park district. So we've got 18 years. And given my history and involvement in parks issues, I want to work to try and continue the traditions of this wonderful park district and do some new things. I bring a lot of innovative ideas to the table, um, and I look forward to representing you. But you've got some great options here. Unlike many elections, sometimes you don't have good candidates running, and it's hard to make the decision. And it's been a big pleasure to be here tonight. I thank the league for doing this. I don't need to bang the drum too much. You know where the ballot is, and you know who's voting, and who's not voting, and where to, where to look for us. I appreciate your consideration for your ballot. Uh, voting for me when you get a chance. Either absentee or normal rates. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Rosario. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. I appreciate everyone coming. Uh, my heart is here. My work is there at Redwood Park for 17 years. And that's one of the reasons why I'm the only candidate here that's endorsed by the Sierra Club. And also, I've got the endorsement from the um, League of Conservation Voters. I'm also, uh, because of my, so, my work in uh, social justice work, I'm also uh, endorsed by the Democratic Party. I also enjoy the, um, the personal endorsement of uh, Congressman George Miller, uh, Assembly Member Rob Bonta, Lonnie Hancock, State Senator. Assemblymember Tony Thurman and um, Board of Supervisor uh, Wona Chan and also uh, Senate candidate Nancy Skinner. Because of my, my work, my vision, those people are behind me they, and um, I will, if elected, I will give my heart to the Park District in, in the best I know how. So thank you very much. I I, I hope I can um, get your vote, and I really appreciate meeting my, all my candidates. They've all been incredible, and uh, thank you. So on behalf of the League of Women Voters, I want to thank the candidates for running for this office and for their participation this evening. You really did an excellent job. You are a bunch of very great presenters. I also want to thank the audience for coming to meet the candidates. Thoughtful questions. 
For further information about upcoming forums, the candidates, and ballot measures, please visit the, League of, the League's award-winning website at lwvoakland.org or votersedge.org slash ca. There you will find information about candidates and ballot measures and links to other sources of information about the upcoming election. Members of the League of Women Voters do not do the hands-on work to safeguard democracy. We never endorse a candidate. We are in directly involved in shaping important issues to keep the community strong. If you would like to become involved with the League, both men and women are urged to join to help our democracy become stronger. It is easy to join the League. We encourage you to visit our website at lwvopen.org. Visit our Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Visit us at Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Look for the League Oakland Easy Bay Voter Guide uh, inserted in the October, it will be inserted in an October issue of the East Bay Express. The deadline to register to vote is October 24. If you have moved or changed your name or wish to change your party affiliation since you last registered, you need to do so by October 24th. Online registration is available at the Secretary of State's website, sos.ca.gov. And we have voter registration forms available right here tonight. Please stop by at our table on your way out if you desire such information. Remember to go to the polls on November 8th. And again, thank you all for spending the time to come here. Thank you, the candidates. Thank you, Oakland Trail, for doing such a great job.